Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to the 21 Seconds Podcast. I'm your host, Colt White, and this episode is brought to you by Dunn Ranch, located in Winniewood, Oklahoma. Standing Jess Lips, One Valiant Hero, Highest Fire, Dashmaster Jess, and the young, well-bred sire, PYC Fun and Fancy. This is one of my favorite stallion lineups in the country. Make sure you book a breeding to one of them in 2021. They are definitely worth the stud fee. If breeding to a stud is not what you're looking for, then don't worry. Dunn Ranch also folds out mares. They can take care of your embryo transfers and semen transfers, and they're one of the best in the country when it comes to sale prep. They can pretty much help you with anything at Dunn Ranch, and for more info, go find them on Facebook and Instagram, and you can also go to their website, dunranch.com, or give them a call at 580-279-6666. That's 580-279-6666. All right, as usual, we'll kick the episode off with a little stakes recap from the past weekend. Even though one of these races isn't even really considered a stakes race, we're going to talk about it anyway because it is $100,000. First off, Saturday at Los Alamitos, the grade three Denim and Diamonds handicap at 350 yards and a $35,000 purse. For older mares here, the winner was the favorite. Kiss Through Fire, picking up her second win on the season, second graded stakes win on the season, won the Charger Bar Handicap earlier in the year. She's by Walk Through Fire out of the Mr. Jess Perry mare, Fridaville, owned by Gentry Farms, Juan Alleman, the trainer, and Raul Valenzuela, the winning jockey aboard Kiss Through Fire. She covered the 350 yards in 17.669 seconds and 91 speed index. Had a half-length victory over Wham Bowie. Finished second here, the six-horse. Zoned by Ed Allred, Scott Willoughby, the trainer, with Oscar Andrade Jr. aboard. Third was the four, Victorioso Dynastia. Owned by Gerald Hartley, John Cooper, the trainer, and Erasmo Gasca aboard. And fourth was the two, all prettied up, owned by Ashley Garcia, Angela Aquino, the trainer, and Diego Herrera with the ride. But it was a very impressive win for Kiss Through Fire. was between Wambui and Victorioso Dynastia to hold the win. As some of you may know, it's pretty hard to fend off horses on both sides of you. So this filly has a lot of heart, obviously. Rounding out the rest of the field was the three, Look of Love, MV, then the seven, Favorite Chick, the eight, Tequila Sangria, the nine, Gray Invader, and the one, Royalties Molly. But congratulations to the winning connections of Kiss Through Fire on her win in the Denim and Diamonds Handicap on Saturday night. Sunday was the Los Alamitos Maiden Stakes, purse of just over $100,000, and we had an upset winner. It was number four, Communicate. He's by PYC Painter Wagon out of the Cuvée Mare Fauvet. Eduardo and Adolfo Perez, the owners, Monte Arosa Trains, and Jose Nicasio with the winning ride. Paid $17 for the win, did communicate. Ran the 350 yards in 17.715 seconds, a 90 speed index for communicate. Picked up $42,000 for the win. Second was number one, Up For You, owned by Ed Allred. Scott Willoughby, the trainer, and Oscar Andrade Jr. aboard. Third was the eight, Secretly Love, with the owner is Giardo Garcia, Valentin Zamudio Trains, and Ruben Lozano with the ride. And fourth was the two, Chance It Now, owned by Ed Allred, Scott Willoughby Trains, and Victor Salazar had the ride in the maiden stakes. Rounding out the rest of the field was number nine, Steamy, then the three, Sully, the five, Out of Dodge, the seven, two, Sass for You, and the six, Special Royal Eagle. The favorite, Elution Eagle, was scratched at the gate, before the maiden stakes, who many believed would be the winner. But congratulations to the winner. Communicate 
and all of his winning connections on the Maiden Stakes victory this past weekend. Tuesday and Wednesday this week at Remington Park in Oklahoma City, schooling races were held preferably to Oklahoma Futurity and Oklahoma Paint and Appaloosa Futurity uh, entrance. Since we're so close to the trials here and the schooling races have been delayed two weeks, I believe, due to weather out in Oklahoma City. So let's look at the results from day one on February 23rd. The first training race for paints and apps going 250 yards, of course. All schooling races were 250 yards. They had a headwind at nine miles an hour. The winner of the trial was Dash and Approach with a 1393, a 63-speed index. Dash and Approach is owned by George and Peggy Cobb, Guillermo Valdivia, the trainer. Dash and Approach broke in slightly at the start, took command and finished under a hand ride for a neck win over number two CRM Country Girl, who's owned by Leda and Delbert Moreland and Lloyd Moreland, the trainer. On CRM Country Girl, a 13.96, a 62 speed index for CRM Country Girl. Recovered from a sluggish break and moved up quickly to challenge the leader in a solid effort for second for CRM Country Girl. Third was number five, Fast Prize Train. Owned by Wetona Stanley for Troy Carter, the trainer. Fast Prize Train was up close to contest at the front end and finished close third in a photo finish behind the top two. So let's look at the first training race for paints and apps. Training race two. The winner was JR, what you mean? He ran a 13.80 for the 250 yards, a 67 speed index. He contested and took for the lead and finished under wraps for a head victory. And JR, what you mean is trained by Eddie Carazales. No owner listed here for JR, what you mean. He defeated Candy's Wagon Train, who ran a 13.82, also a 67 speed index. Candy's Wagon Train was heading ridden throughout in a solid effort for a close second in the second training race. Guerrero's Racing Stable are the owners, and Troy Carter, the trainer, on Candy's Wagon Train. Third was Rainbow Dash AF, the 13.89 the time, a 64 speed index. He was challenged while urging and finished a nice run for third. They're behind the top two for Rainbow Dash AF, owned by Seth Howard and Sam Howard, the trainer. And fourth was Assault Charge, a 13.98, a 60 speed index. Assault Charge was challenging briefly in the early stages and lost ground late, more than likely took under wraps there as of late for Assault Charge, who's owned by Miguel Ogales and JJ Gonzalez, the trainer, on the eight Assault Charge from the second training race. A short field of three for two-year-old paints in the third training race on Tuesday at a headwind of 11 miles an hour, and the winner was a painted Zevi, a 14.27, the time of 49 speed index. Source was handwritten throughout and took an easy lead, pulling away to a length and a half length win. Did a painted Zevi. That one's owned by, uh, it just says Bradley is the owner. I don't know the first name on there. Matt Whitekiller, the trainer, though, on a painted Zevi, more than likely in the Oklahoma Paint and Appaloosa Futurity Trials up next. CL Painted Shadows was second, a 14.53, a 38-speed index. Cruised along behind the leader for a trouble-free second for CL Painted Shadows. It's owned by Guerrero Racing for Troy Carter. Show Me Your Colors was third, a 14.76, a 29-speed index. Was not approved, has to have a gate work 
on this one. Reared at the start and lost all chance. And, of course, not approved was Show Me Your Colors, owned by Danny Jones. Matt Whitekiller, the trainer of that one. Training race four, a 13-mile-an-hour headwind in this one. And the winner was Jess Corona. a 13.95, if that name sounds familiar. He's out of the mayor, Corona's first diva, who won her schooling race as well at Remington Park five years ago. Also won the Oklahoma Futurity and finalist in the Heritage and All-American Futurities at her time as a runner. He was sired by Apolitical Jess, covered to the ground in 13.95 seconds, a 62 speed index for Jess Corona's. He broke in a bit at the start, straightened out to take take the lead in whole position for a half-length win over I.B. Mooninya, who finished second with a 14.04, a 58 speed index. I.B. Mooninya bumped at the break, moved up to challenge and finished strong for second. Third was Double Candy Doll, a 14.21, a 51 speed index. Raced on the far outside, finished willingly while getting out at the finish. We did Double Candy Doll. The connections of the winner, though, Jess Coronas, is owned by Scott Bryan and Michael Joyner, the tra trainer on Jess Coronas, with I.B. Mooninia, owned by Elizardo Garcia, Troy Carter, the trainer, Double Candy Doll, is owned by Kavanaugh Quarter Horses for trainer Clint Crawford. Training race five, a headwind at 14 miles an hour. The winner was Mr. C. Cartel. He posted a 13.79 seconds, a 68 speed index. He broke out, hitting the outside rival at the start, and was hand-ridded to move to the front and continue for a three-quarter length win, did Mr. C. Cartel. He's owned by Kavanaugh Quarter Horses and trained by Clint Crawford. Second was Villalone, a 13.91 time, a 63 speed index. Broke well and challenged throughout for a good second place finish. Did Villalone. Owned by Dustin Cox, Troy Carter, the trainer on Villalone. Third was Corona High Episode, a 13.96, a 61 speed index. Was bumped at the start and raced up front, finishing a strong hold on third for Corona High Episode. Owned by Salvador Cervantes, Guillermo Valdivia, the trainer. And fourth was the number seven, Delgate. Never asked, was leisurely, and had an effort going finish on Delgate. He is from the Kelly Perez barn, is the seven Delgate. And now the sixth training race from the opening day of training races, 16 mile an hour headwind in this one. The winner was I'm a Traveling Apple. Owned by Apple R Racing, Matt White Killer, the trainer here. Ran a 13.8466 speed index, hopped at the start, moved up for a quick recovery, and moved clear for a length win in the sixth. Second was Livewire's Wagon, a 13.99, a 60 speed index. Railed after contact at the start, finished with a good run for second, though, there at the end. Livewire's Wagon, owned by B. Hawk and Matt Whitekiller, the trainer of this one. As well. Third was Painted Naked Lady, a 14 second flat for the 250 yards, a 60 speed index. Challenge from the outside, gave way in the final yards, falling back to third. Did Painted Naked Lady. Zoned by B Hawk as well, with Matt White Killer, the trainer. One, two, three for White Killer in the sixth. Training race seven it was a pretty good one. One by Peeves Charlie. 
A 13.85, a 66 speed index, a small hop at the start for Peeves Charlie. He took over with encouragement and moved away for a three-quarter length win. Peeves Charlie owned by Regina Lehman, Kenny Lehman, the trainer. He defeated second place finisher Ain't Done Yet, a 13.98 for 250 yards, a 60 speed index. Broke nicely on the front end and caught in the closing yards for second for Ain't Done Yet at a revenant offspring here owned by Dub Seeley and Troy Carter, the trainer of this one. Third was Dashing Movement, a 14.28 the time, a 48 speed index. Chased the top runners and an even finish just wasn't quite close enough to catch the top two. Dashing movement from the Eddie Carrizales barn. And fourth was Serendipity at 14.39 the time and a 44 speed index. Broke sharp but gave way late for the seventh Serendipity owned by Renee Wilson, Clint Crawford, the trainer. Trial race eight, or schooling race eight, I should say. The fastest schooling race on Tuesday was won by Teddy Vetter at 13.75 seconds, a 70 speed index. Had a big rally past the leaders for a neck win on an impressive run for Teddy Vetter and Ivory James offspring here, owned by Seth Howard and Sam Howard, the trainer, on the seven. Defeated number four, eye-catching Corona Z. He was asked to keep up in the front end and just caught at the end. But a strong effort for eye-catching Corona Z, who finished with a 13.81, a 67 speed index. He's owned by... G.R. Carter and Shana Carter, Michael Joyner, the trainer of the four. Third was Marty James, a 13.88 the time, a 64 speed index. He challenged throughout and finished a close third in that race. Marty James owned by Brenda Risewick, Clint Crawford, the trainer. And fourth was KG, the running kind, a 13.89, a 64 speed index. KG, the running kind. Ken and Reba George, the owners, and Lloyd Moreland, the trainer. KG, the running kind, was urged early and an even effort towards the end. And the ninth training race had a 17-mile-an-hour headwind. It was won by Roland Country Girl, a 13.91 the time, a 63-speed index. Went to the front end and finished under urging... Wait, what? That didn't make any sense. Went to the front early, finished under urging to keep position, holding to a strong length win over Wicked High Return, who broke in at the start. Straightened out to challenge while urging second best, though. Ran a 14.07, a 57 speed index. Third was Try Relentless. Stumbled at the break, recovered rally nicely, and never really asked. Very impressive for Try Relentless. Zoned by Regina Lehman for Kenny Lehman's barn. Now the 10th, two-year-old paints a headwind of 18 miles an hour. She's wired up was the winner, a 13.7 second win. A 69 speed index, a length and a quarter victory for She's Wired Up, one to look for in the paint trials coming up shortly. Defeated DTL Hot Wired, who was urged early, but no challenge for the winner, She's Wired Up. Third was Cowboy Camo, had a mild rally, but again, not enough to catch She's Wired Up, a very impressive training race from that filly. And the third or 11th race had a 19-mile-an-hour headwind was won by first string, kicked into high gear when the rider shook the reins at him and asked for more midway, pulled away for a clear victory, did first string. First string. Where's his owners here? 
Can't find the owners on him. Can't find his name either, so that was wrong there. First string, the winner, though, defeated Ferrari via prize. Choppy start responded light by asking. Couldn't keep up with the winner, though, first string. One was Kinsia, finished third, shook his head at the start, but was still able with the gates open with an even effort for third on this one. So that's it for the training races for the first day. Now on to the second. Joining me now is Dan Wells, the son of Martha Wells, the champion owner of 2020. He's joined me to talk a little bit about Tel Cartel, the champion three-year-old from last year, and a little bit about his story throughout his career. So please welcome Dan Wells. First of all, let's talk about Tel Cartel as a foal. What was he like then, and how has he changed personality-wise since then, if he has changed at all? Well, I'll tell you what. It, you know, when you got all these babies out in the pasture, it's and I think pretty much every owner can relate. There's there's certain ones that kind of have like a I don't know whether to call it an energy or an intelligence or uh, or what, but you can. It's almost like you can sense that they're that they're a leader and that they're that they're just intelligent i guess is really the best way uh -huh. to put it and that's kind of the way tell cartel was even as a baby when he first started training was he one of those that figured out what his job was early or did it take him some time to figure it out he did figure it out early but he has never not had an issue of getting out of the gate it, I was looking back, there's not one race in his entire career where he didn't finish better than he came out the gate. Not once, ever. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, if you ask me, he still hadn't figured out how to get out the gate. It's too bad we can't get another year out of him. <laughs> oh, yeah. He figured out the rest of the track, just not the gates, I guess. <laughs> now, in May 29th. No, out, but man, it's just some of them can break. Like, it just, I, I don't know if it's fast twitch or what, man, but. Yeah, it's it's uh it's fun stuff. I tell you what, man, twenty one seconds. That's that you, you you came up with the right name because it is twenty one seconds of just all out adrenaline and excitement and anything can happen and just the anticipation of the gates opening and watching that wire, it's just it's it's an unbelievable sport. And then you get you get emotional when you do these these horses when they're they're little babies and, and when they first get broke and, and when they have their first start and you, and you see them come back feeling like a million dollars and you see them come back and you know turning their head to the corner of the stall and and uh just when you wrap all that stuff in a bundle I mean, you can tell why uh people love quarter horse racing now let's talk about tell cartel's first career out in may of 2019 and maiden race out at la salle of course, he ended up the winner and then won a non-winners of two handily. What were your thoughts on him after his first two races? You know, it, it wasn't exceptionally fast. Of course, we were excited. Uh, we, we could see, you know, a horse like Nomadic that's out of uh, Remember Me Rose. We, you know you beat a real good horse right there from Doc Allred. So, so when that happens, you, you know you've probably got a bright future. And you know how it is. You, you hate to get too excited. Uh, early on but uh but yeah we <laughs> we were pretty excited especially after that second race 
They qualified to several stakes his two-year-old year, just didn't have the year he had his three-year-old year, obviously. What was the difference in him in 2020 compared to 2019? Well, you know, he certainly grew up a lot, and he, he did st- <laughs> he stopped getting left in the gates, which really started to help a lot. Uh, it, it was, you know, those first two races, he got out second. Finished first, but got out second. And then after that, he started to, I don't know, you know, looking around or what was going on there, but dead last out of the gate, seventh out of the gate. And then you start seeing, you know, thirds, fourths, fifths. But uh, his three-year-old year, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a minute. But uh, uh, that's when things started to turn around. Now let's talk about that. He gets his first graded stakes win in the Winter Derby earlier in the year. He outran horses like You Can Run, Mental Error, Sasco Blue, Circle City, Nomadic. Cartel just rocking a hell of a field to beat. What was that moment like after he won that derby? Well, I'll tell you, he, and I'm going to back up a little bit back into that two-year-old year because we thought he had the, uh, the PCQHRA uh, Reader's Maturity locked down, especially when he came out ahead of Floki, and, and he lost to Sasco Blue, which is a good horse. But uh, he didn't win there. And then, of course, we still had high hopes. Nomadic was having a great season, and we really thought there was going to be a I think he was less than one to one to uh, to win his fraternity trial and make it into the two million. And that's those names you just mentioned are the ones we want to be toe to toe with. That's the dream field. And so to make it to that that two million dollar race is uh, it's what you live for. And so to get just bumped around like a pinball machine and lose that opportunity was absolutely heartbreaking. And the reason I tell you all that was because. You know, when you're down that deep in a hole, it just feels that much better when you can come back and take on that field with mental error and you can run. And, I mean, Nomadic, Circle City, all, they were all in there. Uh-huh. And to win that race was, it's just, it makes it twice as sweet. Now, from there, he went on to romp in the El Primero Delano Derby, then wins the Super Derby with the fastest time to earn a spot in the Champion of Champions. What was the timing like leading up to the Champion of Champions? I'm sure a lot of nerves were involved. Well, yeah. I mean, so you want to just skip ahead to the Champion of Champions? Uh, all three of them, if you want. Okay. Well, it, it's funny. Like, with the, the El Primero, uh, it was one where it was kind of like the moment he got out of the gate. I mean, he got out sixth against that field in the Winter Derby and was still able to win it by three quarters of a length. But when he got out in the El Primero Derby third, it was just kind of like over. I mean, you just knew that there's no way though. There's not a horse that has a higher top speed than Tell Cartel. There just is not. And and we'll get to the champion of champions where he, I don't know if there was dirt in his nose or not by the time he came up out of that uh, start, but he had to catch up to all those horses, the, the legends of the sport. Anyway, uh, let's go back to let's go back to Super Derby. So after the El Primero, we uh, he took some time off, about five months. He uh, there was a chip had had to remove. It's you know for the for the long term uh, racing career, the horse had to be done. And uh, so we brought him back, and this something was wrong. The horse just was not. He got beat by Circle City, but Circle City wasn't even running fast. And, and then he got beat again and again. And all of us, I mean, it's it's like, I mean, you take it personally. 
You really do. Uh, Matt was taking. Did, was it? Did he? Did we go too soon? The trainer Matt fails. Did uh, I was blaming myself for watching the wrong TV screen because <laughs> I'm like, damn it! I should have watched the one in the kitchen. <laughs> Last time I watched from the small one in the kitchen, my little brother's even worse than me. He wouldn't even watch it. He thought he was bad luck because <laughs> he had missed the he had missed the winter derby, so he's afraid to watch. Oh, man. Uh, so we're all blaming ourselves, and you know, stupidly. But the horse just needed a chance to. Uh, to get his feet back and to get his confidence back, but it was, it was pretty painful. So anyway, uh, my fiance's mom was in town, and we're watching from the TV in the in the kitchen because I felt like that was the best luck. Didn't record it because uh, I felt that was bad luck too. And Tell Cartel was Tell Cartel again in the uh, in the uh, Derby Trials in the Low South Derby Trials, and um, I. It was just like before. I mean, it to realize that this horse, who you just have so much hope for and such an emotional connection to, is able to become himself again one more time. I mean, there was there was nothing like it. We were uh, we were we were jumping off the walls. Now, how about leading up to the champion of champions? What was the time between the Derby and the champion of champions like? Well, so so then hold on now. Now we got the actual Derby. So this is the one where you know. I mean, this is. I'm driving. I'm I, I, here in LA. I was driving out to Orange County, and uh, I called my little brother. And we text most of the time. We don't talk all that much. We talk. I don't know, maybe once a, every couple of weeks. So we're talking in the car, and you know, I mean, the two of us. My my father was a jockey, so we've been in this business our entire lives. We went from jockeys to trainers to owner owner life, though our entire life. So we spent our lives as three, four, five year old kids rummaging through old tickets in the seventies in Los Alamitos trying to find winning tickets. And you kinda you, you get all the way to the to the Super Bowl and you kinda think you always hope you, you might get lucky, but when you realize you have the best horse in the field, he had the fastest time, he's dominated throughout the entire year, you should win the Super Bowl. You should win the Super Derby. And we knew it and we were talking about it, but we're afraid to even say it. We're, we're both afraid to say it, but we're just like, but what if, what if this horse pulls this off? Anyway, picked up my mom. We were, uh, we were both nervous and she's like, should we have like a white claw or something? I'm like, nope, I, we, I don't want to jinx anything. And I don't want, I don't want to not remember every second of this. Let's just, we can have one after if, if I don't even want to say it, let's just go. <laughs> but we went up there. And it's the pandemic. So this racetrack that I, you know, I told you, there's, we've been there with thousands and thousands of people so many times is pretty much empty. And it's it's kind of a little bit eerie like oh, that. Bet. Yeah. And so we go in there and back there, it's, it's Chris Wade and he's got all his papers and, and, and uh, statistics and things laid out on his table. And there, I think there was one other, I don't know if it was Shirley I'm not sure who it was. And then my mom and I took one of the tables and uh, we just sat there just all just nervous to death. And I'm like, should I go down to the paddock? And, and she's like, nope, bad luck. <laughs> you <gotta> stay here. <laughs> so she went down there and, uh, and she caught uh, eye contact with, with tell, with tell cartel. And, um, and he stopped and looked at her 
and she looked at him and they just kind of nodded, you know, they've known each other forever, his whole life anyway, for years. And she said, he looks good. He looks calm. He looks relaxed. He looks, he looks like himself. And then, uh, the horse did what he did. He, he got out, he did what he does. He got out third and also was the fastest horse running as far as, uh, miles per hour. And of course, uh, dominated that and we just we couldn't even believe it but there is one last thing that was kind of kind of weird that i want to throw in there uh we lost our jockey and we love our jockey uh, ruben lozano is an awesome dude we love him to death but uh you know um uh john john carter cash mm-hmm. with the uh, zamudio's horse and they have a relationship and john carter cash man they and my mom was pointing at him because he brought all his whole crew. It was just my mom and I. And he somehow brought like 15 people, and they all had John Carter cast these red jackets. And I'm like, damn, that's like OG right there. That's old school. <laughs> we we got we to get some of those jackets with Tell Cartel in the back. And she's like, nope, there's no way I'm doing that. That's going to jinx the horse. I'm never doing that. I'm like, mom, but that, remember that? Like in the 80s when you would see those, those Dash for Cash jackets and the – and the uh, the first down dash, she's like, I don't care, we're not getting those. I'm like, all right, maybe after he wins? She's like, maybe. So anyway, uh, he had taken off our horse, uh, taken off Tell Cartel to ride John Carter Cash uh, because they're obviously friends. And, you know, whoever knows well behind the scenes. So the line moved over to John Carter Cash. They're like, well, if Ruben doesn't want to ride him, Something's going on. Ruben must know something. So yeah, John Carter Cash went off as the favorite in the Super Derby, and we got Eduardo Nicasio, <laughs> which was ridiculous. We're just like, wait a second. He's available for the Super Derby? And, of course, he's thinking, wait a second. Tell Cartel is available for the Super Derby? <laughs> it was unbelievable. And so it, you know the movie Seabiscuit? Oh, yeah. When they get uh, George Wolf. Mm-hmm. it's kind of like wait a second that's your backup jockey that's kind of how we felt we're like okay Eduardo Nicasio it is so uh of course he does what he does or did what he does uh and he's between powerful favorite and apolitical blood and all the horses he's always done he's incredible and so we were tickled to death to have him on there and uh, he put on a great ride so do you want me to move to the champion of champions of course all right. So now, of course, we're excited. We're loving it. But now you start, you know, the weeks start to go by and the other horses start to qualify. And we didn't have a jockey because Nicasio now had, we, we gave him, we're like, look, man, you got the horse into the champion of champions. He's yours if you, if you want to ride him. But his, I mean, you've seen the history. His baby is powerful favorite. It's, oh, yeah. he, I mean, you can't blame him. I, oh, everybody no. wants powerful favorite to be their baby. It's, it's like the dream horse to ride, but he didn't, he didn't tell us. And so weeks are going by and he's actually, uh, he's exercising both horses at different mornings. And I'm just like, damn, when is he going to say something? So we're probably about a week out and he finally tells us, Hey, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ride powerful favorite. So it would kind of kind of felt like it was going to happen, but we, you know, we weren't. We're still kind of hoping. We still love Ruben, but uh, you know, we were kind of hoping. Anyway, so he goes powerful favorite, and now we're back with Ruben Lozano. 
And now, of course, this is like, you know, it's, it's one thing. You race the same horses as a two-year-old, and you want to race the best horses. You race the same horses as a three-year-old, and you want to race the same horses. And now, you're the youngest horse in the race, and you're racing all the legends. You're racing former champion of champion champions. You're racing the other winners of the winter derby. It's it was, The field was just incredible. Definitely. And so... Yeah, I mean, you you remember that field? It's just Stack. it was unreal, and two of the best ones in there. That that the odds finally wrapped up, and he actually went off favorite, right next to a powerful favorite, and I think Chocolate Tito was the third favorite. But you know, they all have the same sire, and of course, you know, a political pencils in that race. So, <laughs> like I told you earlier. We're, we're just hoping for it's that's the thing about this man if you get a, a if you don't get a good break in 21 seconds you better damn well have the fastest horse on the racetrack or you're you're not going to have a chance at anything right and so we're hoping again and we look and boom stumbles he gets out of the gate in seventh and we're just like dude no <laughs> not again as we're back to back to his two year old year, oh, but Ruben didn't panic. Ruben just kept. I think maybe tap, maybe hit the stick, maybe once or twice, and he hand rode, coaxed, had the faith, had the confidence, and the horse clearly had the highest miles per hour clocked. Not only in that race, the race before he had the fastest four hundred meters of the or four hundred yards, excuse me, of the uh, entire season. And he had enough speed once again, now against the legends of the sport, to catch every single one but one. But the cool thing is, man, he caught up to. I mean, you don't you don't catch up to to powerful favorite. Nobody does. He just right. he just demolishes the field, and he got out first. He was the first one out the gate, and we were able to catch him at the wire, which is just unheard of when you come out seventh. And so there was some sort of. Uh, there was a lot to be proud of coming in runner up. Wasn't sort of the dream. The dream is to win them both. But uh, we were just so proud of this horse and the the year that he that he had to um, to cap off his career as a runner. And and now the the goal is to is for him to become just like his dad. Now after the year ended, what did it mean to you and your family have to have a horse named Champion three year old and also picking up Champion owner honors? Man. 49 years that uh, my mom's been in this. And, you know, they, they met, uh, my dad was a jockey at Rio Dosa, uh, And they met, you know how after you get up the horses in the morning, you go to usually go grab a, a beer or a drink afterwards before you take a nap before the nighttime. Right. And there's a little pool hall out, out there that they met at. And uh, I guess they teamed up. And that's what brought her from, that's what brought her into the sport. So 49 years ago, that happened. And all that time, the, the dream of being a champion owner with the American Quarter Horse Association was, it's almost, it's almost like you don't even, you're almost like afraid to dream of it. And so for that to happen uh, for my mom was just, it, it, it can't really even explain it. She, she, was, uh, she was in tears, to say the least. Now, going into his first year as stud, what kind of mares do you think he'll cross well with? Well, it, 
so far, talking to Carrie and Ralph, we, we've been pretty blessed to have, you know, quite a few, uh, I call them six figure mares, the ones that uh, had a, had a real nice uh, career on the racetrack. And the ones that I think that I'm most excited about personally are the, uh, the apolitical Jess um, and the freight train B uh, mares. Okay, okay. You know, anything goes, man. It's it's crazy how these it just you kind of never know. No, you never know where one of those freaks will come from. They'll come from anywhere. You never know. Like <laughs> it's well, I was I was looking at <laughs> I was, I was not, and, and that's the thing about this this we know there's a lot of luck involved in this sport. So all we can do is try to put the odds in our favor. And obviously, if you got a six-figure mare, the odds are going to be more in your favor than a horse that made nothing but some of these some of these horses just they come out of nowhere and their their mom did nothing it's unreal like uh this sir's sir's final try the one that was the uh champion three-year-old uh gilding right uh his mom made one thousand dollars never never lit the board uh-huh yeah, <laughs> yeah out of one dashing eagle okay. i'm like okay well there you have one right now, what traits do you hope he passes down? What are some of his best traits? For sure, top speed. Of course, hundred percent. Like the, the if you could if it was just like a clock, like you know, like in baseball when they they uh, they clock the pitcher and they see how many miles an hour he can pitch. If it was that was the sport, he would never be beaten by anyone. He can have the highest top speed of anyone. That's why four hundred forty yards was such a gift for him in the champion champions because eventually even though you got out with your nose in the dirt seventh you're able to catch the fastest horses on earth so the speed is the number one thing that i uh would expect him to pass along and uh you know his dad had it his mom had it his mom was already a down of distinction through forest fire out of a walk through fire way back when so she's she's incredible and if it weren't for her getting hurt on the hot walker she would have had a great career herself and one last thing for you. Where do people need to find out more about Tell Cartel? Well, there's a just to keep things simple, there's just, we put a little website together. It's just tellcartel.com, which is obviously nice and easy. And other than that, I'd I'd call Carrie at the ranch. She can she can tell you anything at uh, Bales Ranch. And of course there's a there's a Instagram page also Tell Cartel. But uh Yeah, Carrie answers all the questions. (laughs) Support for the podcast is brought to you by Flare Strips. During intensive exercise, horses can only breathe through their nose and not their mouth. That means all oxygen needed for exercise can only pass through the nasal passages, the narrowest part of the upper airway. A significant portion of the nasal passages is supported by bone or cartilage. When breathing hard, the soft tissue overlying this unsupported region is sucked inward, reducing the nasal passages and greatly increasing resistance to air intake. Studies show that during exercise, over 50% of resistance to air flow to the lungs comes from the nasal passages. Flare equine nasal strips make breathing easier by providing a spring-like force that gently supports the soft tissues over the nasal passages so they collapse less. Numerous studies prove that the strips improve airflow to the lungs reduce fatigue, reduce lung bleeding, and quicken recovery. 
Visit flarestrips.com for more information. Joining me now is a man who's going to tell us all about the ICSI process and tell us all about the embryo transfers too. Please welcome Dr. Rick Beck. First of all, first question I got for you is I want to know how you got into the breeding business to begin with. Well, it's a long story, but I was raised on a cattle ranch in Montana. And uh, that was so long ago that we used a lot of horses uh, before we had snowmobiles and and uh, propane heaters on tractors with cabs on them. We had draft horses when nothing would start, and we fed all the cattle with a team. And we had saddle horses. We went back in the mountains and moved all the cattle on. And so we didn't have any mechanized toys to run the ranch with. And so I really learned uh, to appreciate horses. And then, of course, as time went on, everything got mechanized. Uh, I went to vet school, and <clears throat> when I go back to the ranch now, there's hardly any horses there because they have motorcycles and four-wheelers and you know all kinds of – because it's faster and, and it's easier. And the, But I learned about horses. I went to veterinary school at Colorado State and came out, and, uh, and now I, for the last uh, – golly it's about all oh, 45 years now i've been treating horses and so i got into reproduction they were just starting to do embryo transfer when i was at colorado state i graduated uh, there in 1973 and uh, i got into embryo transfer business and as uh, the reproductive technology progressed uh, primarily from the human field uh, they they started doing test tube babies in people where they'll take the uh, eggs, uh, which they collect uh, like we do now, from the follicles on the ovaries, and you can put them in a test tube with the sperm and put them in the incubator, and the sperm will will actually fertilize the egg. And that's called in vitro fertilization or test tube babies. And you can probably remember, well, I can remember when the first test tube baby was born, it was big news. However, that does not work with horses. It's been tried over and over again to put horse eggs in a test tube with horse semen and put in the incubator, and they will not fertilize the eggs. It's very it's very big business in cattle. In vitro fertilization uh, labs are, are big in the cattle business. But horses are unique in a lot of ways, and reproductively uh, is no exception in that in vitro fertilization does not work. However, when they came up with intracytoplasmic sperm injection which is ICSI where you mechanically with a really fine pipette on a microscope you can have a holding pipette that will hold the egg and you actually physically inject the sperm into the egg that's what ICSI is and that works with horses it doesn't work very well with cattle it works good with people, but it works really good with horses. And so we can take one sperm and inject it into one egg and make one embryo. And so it, 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 the results aren't that good. It takes about 10 eggs on average to get an embryo or maybe a little bit less. But it allows us to have a whole new technology available 
to uh, to promote the, the to promote and preserve the genetic potential of the really good horses. Tell us about some of the services you have at Info Incorporated. Well, we, we used to be a full service veterinary hospital where we did uh, three ambulatory trucks and a surgery room and. And uh, we treated emergency calls, and we, we did almost everything uh, there was to do in equine medicine. But as we got more and more specialized, <clears throat> and we had more and more demand for the things uh, that we do from a reproductive standpoint, uh, we finally uh, just specialized in reproduction. And then uh, a few years ago, we got so busy uh, doing uh, embryos in ICSI that we, we stopped doing uh, scallion work, and we used to freeze a lot of scallions and ship semen, so we totally stopped doing scallion work. And this year, we've to- almost totally stopped doing embryo transfer and mare breeding because we're so busy doing ICSI that that's the only thing that we do now. And so as time has gone on and our specialty has grown, uh, we, we've eliminated almost all the other procedures that we do. Can you walk us through the whole aspiration procedure from checking mares' follicle size and tracking recipient mares? Yeah. You know, when we uh, when we do aspirations, which is where we actually take the eggs out of the follicles, which is a concept, it's, it's kind of hard to visualize if, if you don't really know the anatomy, but... It, there's two ovaries in the mare, and and they they go uh, are connected to the uterus by the oviduct, and then and then that goes to the body of the uterus, and then out to the cervix, and then uh, out out through the vagina to the outside. So when we when we breed a mare, we'll put a pipe uh, by artificial insemination. We'll put a pipette with the sperm through the cervix. And usually up at least to the base of the horn or even farther up is even more effective. But the, uh, the sperm is in, inseminated into the uterus, and the egg from a mature follicle which develops on the ovary, the uh, follicle breaks and releases the egg into the oviduct, which is then connected to the uterus. And the, if the sperm is waiting in the oviduct, it usually fertilizes the egg naturally, and the egg then becomes an embryo and circulates in the uterus until it's either flushed out, which is the embryo transfer procedure. The embryo is flushed out and placed in a, in a surrogate mother mare or a recipient mare. Or the mare is allowed to carry, and so the embryo at about day 16 attaches to the wall of the uterus and forms a placenta and becomes a pregnancy. So we don't do any of that when we do ICSI. When, the, when a mare starts to cycle, she recruits many follicles, and, and that varies from mare to mare, and, and, and depends a lot on the age of the mare and the season of the year. <clears throat> but she may have 10 or 15 follicles on each ovary, and each of those follicles has an oocyte or egg in it. And so we have an ultrasound-guided needle that is passed vaginally, up to the anterior uh, of the vagina, right beside the cervix. And then we go in rectally and, and manually pull the ovary up until we place it on the face of the ultrasound probe. And 
even though it's hard to describe, we have videos of this on our website if anybody's interested in actually pursuing this. And our website is info-inc.com. But nonetheless, we passed the, uh, uh, about a 24-inch needle through a needle guide on the probe, and we can visualize these follicles on the ultrasound screen, and we pass the needle into the follicles and aspirate the eggs from the follicles on the ovary. So if a mare has a problem with the uterus, that really doesn't matter at all. They can have a, a, a total uterus full of, uh, of exudate or a, a torn cervix, retained fluid. There's many problems that mares can have that prevent you from getting embryos or prevent them from getting pregnant. We can totally bypass those problems with the ICSI procedure. So once we, once we aspirate all the follicles on one ovary, we go to the other side and aspirate all the follicles on the other ovary. And it's a, a very common misconception among horse breeders that passing the needle through into the ovary and aspirating the eggs is going to damage the mare's ovaries or impair the fertility of the mare. And I was very concerned about this, about, well, we started doing this in 2006. So we've been doing it, I don't even know how many years that is, but we've been doing it 15 or 16 or 17 years. And when I first started doing this, I, I have some mares of my own. And of course, we I started trying to figure this out with my on our recipient mares. And then I was doing Ixia on my own mares. And I was concerned about damaging the ovaries on my mares. And you take a perfectly healthy young mare that you have to do ICSI because the stallion owners have run out of semen. And the only way you can breed to their stallion is, is by the ICSI procedure because it conserves the sperm. So, so a lot of really normal young fertile mares are, are candidates for ICSI because of the shortage of semen. So when we first started doing ICSI, we would only do one ovary because we were concerned that we would damage the ovary, but we'd always have the other ovary for a backup and we would not aspirate it. And so for about the first year or so that we did ICSI, we would only aspirate one ovary and we'd always do the same ovary on the same mare. Then I, one year I went to Fort Worth to the sale and I bought a really nice mare and I brought her home and I said, we're going we're gonna to solve this problem once and for all. How much we're going to damage this mare? So we aspirated the mare every 10 days for a year. We aspirated 31 times, and we ended up with 28 embryos in one year from this mare by different stallions. And the next spring, we bred her and flushed an embryo the first try. And subsequently, we aspirated her 20 more times that year, both ovaries. All of these aspirations were two ovaries. And, and we got more embryos. So later, I decided to sell the mare because we had a whole freezer full of frozen embryos from this mare. So I sold her at the Fort Worth sale. And that spring, and that's in this, the sales in December, and that spring, the guy that bought her late about May, he called me up and asked me about some of the frozen embryos we had from that mare. And I said, how's that mare doing anyway? And he said, you know, this is one of the most fertile mares we've ever had. We've already got five, flush five embryos out of this mare. Well, subsequent to that, we flush both ovaries and all the follicles that we can get the needle in 
on every mare that we do. And over the years, we've had return clients here many times. And I would guess we have at least 25 mares that over the years have been aspirated at least 100 times each and, and have absolutely no problems either flushing for embryos or breeding to carry. So I'm totally convinced that the procedure is safe as far as damaging the reproductive health of your mare. So the, the other the other question that I constantly hear is that we're going to steal all the eggs from this mare and she's not going to have any left. And so there's a very simple answer to that question. Uh, when, when a filly is born, kind of like when a, a girl is born, a female baby is born, they have about a million oocytes in their ovaries. It's like a tennis ball full of salt. Every grain of salt in that tennis ball is a, is a primordial oocyte, meaning it's an undeveloped oocyte. And so over their lifetime, about the time they reach puberty or when one of these mares gets to be two or three years old, those oocytes start to develop. And by then, about a third of them actually have the potential to mature. So Dr. Hendricks at Texas A&M, she, she predicts that the average mare, uh, when, when she's in her reproductive life, has between 100 and 200,000 oocytes on each ovary. Hmm. Now, these follicles that we're talking about developing when we aspirate them, and we can ask, we've asked, the most we've ever aspirated is 52 eggs in one session from one mare doing both ovaries. So we're not really stealing those eggs because if we didn't aspirate those follicles, those follicles would become atretic, they would resorb, and those eggs would be resorbed into the body and lost. So we're not taking any eggs out. They wouldn't naturally be lost by a, the natural cycle anyway. But if you imagine the ovary to be a grapefruit tree, and every spring you get a whole bunch of grapefruits, but if that grapefruit tree only allowed one grapefruit to become big and ripe and fall off and you could eat it and all the rest of those grapefruits shriveled up and died. That's what happens to the follicles in an ovary. Except in about 16 days they all come back again with a whole other crop of grapefruit of which in the normal cycling mare only one of them matures and ovulates and has the potential to become an embryo. So as far as safety of the procedure and stealing the eggs goes, uh, they're all natural processes that uh, that we we have absolutely no effect on the reproductive health of a mare. Now, what's the difference in an ICSI embryo and a flushed embryo? Well, genetically, there's no difference at all. Uh, when we make an embryo in the lab, we take that egg and with a microscope and a very fine needle, inject the sperm into the egg. And from the day of injecting until we transfer it into a mare, takes on average about nine days. When we breed a mare, we normally flush them on day seven. And the embryos are quite a bit bigger when they develop naturally in the mare 
than they are when they grow them in the incubator in the lab. So about, and they look different under the microscope. They're a, a, a normally flushed embryo from a, from the developed in the uterus of a mare is crystal clear. Uh, looks like a, it looks like a diamond golf ball with all the little divots that a golf ball has. They're very, very, very beautiful. On the, on the other hand, when you see an ICSI embryo, it's, it's really dark. You can't see through it. Uh, they're pretty, and they're hollow like an expanded, an expanded embryo on a seven-day uh, embryo flushes. <clears throat> However, you can't see through them. They're dark, and you can see the, uh, the row of cells on the outside, but they're smaller and they're darker. But genetically, they're absolutely identical. Now, tell us about some of the stallions you've bred to from racing to cutting horses. Well, I tell people we've got, we have probably the biggest stallion station in the country because we've accumulated over the years over 200 samples of frozen sperm from stallions that we have had uh, semen sent here to do ICSI with. <clears throat> and when we do the ICSI procedure, I usually just request one frozen straw. Uh, a normal breeding dose of frozen semen is eight straws, each straw containing 125 million sperm. A breeding dose of equine semen is a billion cells. That's a thousand million cells. When we do ICSI, we use one sperm cell. So, Obviously, if, you're, if your stallion has died and you're running out of frozen semen, you have the opportunity to do ICSI with that stallion. It's going to keep them breeding fees rolling in. And so every year we have more stallion orders going to ICSI because it greatly extends the genetic life of a stallion. So we have, we have uh, the semen from stallions that have been long dead and gone way back to when they first started freezing semen and some of the oldest semen we have there's some stallions that they they never froze any semen on and so we we don't have any we don't have any semen from them to do ICSI with but we have uh, some of the older stallions are streak and six special effort uh, docs hickory um we have many smart little leaners and uh and uh, Shining, Shining Spark's still alive, but some of these stallions go ICSI only because the stallion is no longer fertile, and they've run out of semen. And so Mr. Jess Perry and uh, First Down Dash and Walk Through Fire and Pepta Boone Small, the cutting horse, and uh, several other stallions that uh, have either run out of semen or are, are old, our, our old foundation stallions, Chicks Beduino is another one, that uh, that we have available. And, and every year, uh, Strawfly Special, we have we have many of these uh, old older stallions that uh, we have the semen here. And if anybody wants uh, wants wants a baby, then we t we take the, uh, the semen sample and place it in a nitrogen bath and cut the just. We cut dust off the very tip of the straw. We, we only need we only need a, a fraction of that straw because there's 125 million sperm in it. And and if we have 
10 or 15 eggs to inject, we only need 10 or 15 sperm. And no matter how fine you cut the straw, we end up with a thousand sperm cells, 2,000. We just end up throwing many of them away because you can't cut the straw fine enough. But as a result, the straws last forever. And so, so one, one straw of frozen semen, we can do many, 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 many mares and uh, inject many eggs and, and get many babies. Now, how about some of the best mares you bred to? Oh, golly, we, well, because of the price of the procedure, we only get the good mares, and, and we've done, well, we've, we, we have some mares that come here and end up staying here the rest of their life because uh, physically they, they don't haul well or they have trouble getting around. We've aspirated mares in the sling and mares that are crippled and mares that we keep across from the, uh, from the aspiration chute, but we had a summertime quickie here for several years, uh, belonged to Paul Jones, and she was uh, Foose's mother who won the All-American. We had a Zookie Cookie here who pulled air hostages mother. We have Five Bar Molly still here and still uh, aspirating, who's Five Bar Cartel and Magic Cartel's mother. We had Queen of Appeals here for a couple of years and, and bred her back to favorite trick many times. Uh, which is the combination that gave us Good Reason S.A., very popular stallion, who is Ixie only now. And uh, favorite trick was Ixie only because he died young uh, in a barn fire and they had very little frozen semen uh, available at the time. And so uh, we do favorite trick with Ixie. <clears throat> We've had the mothers uh, of, of many... Uh, Big time uh, racehorses here, or mares that ran, ran big and came here for Ixie. The, uh, another benefit of Ixie, in addition to extending the breeding life of stallions by minimal use of the sperm, or extending the breeding life of the mare when she has a problem with the uterus, is that we can also produce many, many more embryos by Ixie. Than you could ever produce by embryo transfer. When we when we were doing embryo transfer, you know, we we would see how many embryos we could get a year out of a mare, and you could get five or six or seven. You uh, hard to get that many in the breeding season, but if you if you bred them year round and froze the embryos, but uh, we we had a mare our record. We had a mare of mine here uh, last year that we got eleven embryos from one batch of eggs. And, and these were eggs that we injected with four different stallions. And we got four embryos from each of two stallions and three embryos from the third stallion and none from the fourth stallion. So the, the opportunity to, uh, to multiply the number of offspring from a mare is, is amazing. Now, not all mares do ICSI well. There's about 10% of them that, do not respond very well to the procedure. But there's about 25% of them that give you multiple almost every time. And so so somewhere in there, uh, your, your mare will fall. But but we, we nearly, I won't say we nearly always do, but we eventually do uh, get embryos out of nearly every mare. Not always the first time, but 
mean, we have to go in some of these mares multiple times before we get the embryo. All right, last thing I got for you here. What ICSI babies do you know of that have done well on the track or in the arena? Well, that's a good question. We, we were going to try to keep track of all these things, but, you know, we got so busy. And it, the, the problem with keeping track of offspring is that it takes so long before they get out there and become competitive. Right. So the, the quickest turnover is in racehorses because they run as two-year-olds. <clears throat> and so you can, if you can follow them until they're two or three or four, you can find out the ones that are doing really well. And, and, and I can't tell you who they are because we haven't kept track of those, but I, it, it would be a great study to see how many of these ICSI babies have gone to the winter circle. And I think there've been many of them. Many of my clients have sent us pictures of ICSI foals in the winter circle. And I used to go to Los Alamitas to be every once in a while, get in the wind picture, but now that the virus thing, you can't go. And so uh, I'm, I'm not really aware. There's, uh, there's, several, there's several barrel horses out there <clears throat> that are ICSI only that are running and winning that uh, some of them that we've made, some of them other people have made. And I know there's many cutting horses because Highbrow Cat was probably one of the first stallions to go ICSI only uh, way back when, when Texas A&M started doing highbrow cat ICSIs and he went sterile and so uh that got ICSI started in the cutting horse business uh with him and then Pepper Boone Small and others that uh sons of or offspring of highbrow cat you know are famously uh competitive and I'm sure many of those highbrow cat babies that have won in the past even 10 years have been ICSI foals so uh racehorses have not been doing ICSI that long. As a matter of fact, uh, when uh, when Watsu Fire uh, became uh, became sterile and this frozen semen didn't work, uh, we started doing Watsu Fire, and the racehorse industry was not very aware of the ICSI process at all. And of course, now they're very aware of it because there's a number of stallions that they have to do ICSI to breed to. So. Um, so there's, there's lots of them out there, and every year there get to be more ICSI foals, and every year there's more two-year-olds at the racetrack that are ICSI babies uh, that we or others have made. I just haven't kept track to see who they are. All right, now day two of the schooling races on the second day. First training race, totally different story on day two, by the way. Opposite wind, tailwind of 20 miles an hour. And Farolini was the first trial winner. 13.73 the time, a 70 speed index. Had an okay start, drifted out, but managed to find the front and win by a neck over Hello, who was away slowly, moved to the front once into full stride and caught in the final yards for a near miss, did Hello, who ran a 13.76, a 69 speed index for that one third was situation station a 14.23 a 50 speed index took a couple of strides to get rolling on this when he drifted in a bit and the rider took hold late for more control to keep him in hand just wasn't enough to catch the top two 
in the second training race. Another one for the Cold Horses here, a 19-mile-an-hour tailwind, won by AJ's Trace of Paint, a 13.91 the time, a 63-speed index. Tried to drift shortly after the start, but was correct by the rider and led to a powerful lead and a victory for AJ's Trace of Paint. Second was BV, Stand By Me, had a good effort and came on under the asking, could not catch AJ's Trace of Paint. Finished with a 13.94, a 62 speed index. Third was John Wick, a 13.95, a 62 speed index on this one. Had a bit of a bobble at the start, drifted out just a bit, and had a good finish late under a hand ride near the end. The third training race was for Paints and Appaloosas, a tailwind of 20 miles an hour, won by over the shock, a 13.86 the time, 65 speed index on that one, had an okay start, dominated to the lead though, winning by two and three quarters in hand ride for over the shock. Second was the three, CRM Princess Rose, had a great start, led for the first 100 yards of the race, and but could not maintain the lead over over the shock. Third was BS Badman. Had a sluggish start and shied from the right-handed whip, but had an even finish towards the end. Just couldn't catch over the shock, obviously, with that two-and-three-quarter lane victory. The fourth training race had a 19-mile-an-hour tailwind owned by Venture Highway. A 13.85 the time, a 66 speed index. Had a bit of a hop at the start, had a sharp effort at the end, and a hand ride for the winner. Second was the seven, raised the bar high, a slight break inward. Came on with a big gain under a hand ride towards the end. And third was the two, Whirl Away Jesse. Had an okay start, asked for a run, had a nice race, though, just had to settle for third. On to the fifth. Tailwind of 20 miles an hour in this one. One by Remember Me Sace, a 13.91, a 63 speed index. Just a bit slow at the start. Came with a rally under a light asking to win by a head over BH Thank You Jimmy. Who broke in slightly, had a solid run, straightened up at the end for a hand ride, and may have more in the tank with this one. 13.92 is another 63 speed index for this one. Third was number seven, Edward Ashley. He had an okay start and all-out drive, gained well, and has a gate work only listed for him. Edward Ashley, out a half-brother actually to Gold Diggin' Ashley. He's by one fabulous eagle, so look forward to him coming up too. The sixth training race was won by Revenant Moon, a 13.65, a 74 speed index with a tailwind of 20 miles an hour. Had a fractious time in the gates for Revenant Moon. A professional effort, though, on the track by a half-length win. Second was Just Good Graces. Had a bit of a choppy start, asked midway under a hand ride, and was definitely second best to a Revenant Moon. VF Shawnee's Traveling was third, had a slight break-in at the start. Brushing the two horse and had a hand ride over the final 150 yards. Seventh training race was won by BP Fancy down south of the 21 mile an hour tailwind. A 76 speed index for this one. Broke clean, took control and powered home early for a three quarter length win over Smoke'em Daddy, who challenged early as well. And then being asked, could not challenge the winner though, was second best in that schooling race. A 13.75 the time, a 70 speed index. Third was She's a Louisiana Blue, put in a good run just to be third. And it was really good there on the front end, by the way, for She's a Louisiana Blue. A 13.82, a 67 speed index for She's a Louisiana Blue. 
Another sub-14 second time with Corona and Ice ran a 13.93, a 62 speed index for Corona and Ice. Had a small hop at the start, a late rally, and an even effort in this race. Now the eighth, a 20-mile-an-hour tailwind. Smithworks the winner, 14.02 the time, a 59 speed index. He stumbled a bit at the break but recovered quickly to take the lead and finished strong for a next score over CRM Tommy Boy. He ran a 14.08, a 56 speed index. He was pushed in at the start by the outside rival, finished gaining second for a solid effort. And third was DTL Hottish, raced up close on the outside and just late for third, a 14.20 the time, a 51 speed index. The ninth training race at an 18-mile-an-hour tailwind, won by Tempting Uno Moss, a 13.66, a 73 speed index. He came out a bit at the break, veering over about three lanes in traffic. Despite having the lead and getting out, he was clear three-quarters of a length. Second was Corona and Honey, who had a good start and asked a challenge, but was no match for Tempting Uno Moss. Corona and Honey finished the 250 yards in a 13.81 and a 67 speed index. Talking Jackie was third. Pressed the inside rival, finished well. A well-earned third for Talking Jackie. A 13.87, a 65 speed index. The 10th training race was the fastest of the day with an 18-mile-an-hour tailwind. Won by, it's just a matter of time, a 13.51 time. Won by first crop sire Big Lou. A speed index of 79 on this one. Broke inward at the start, but straightened out to zoom to the front, as they say on the notes here. To a steady win at the wire for a neck win. Second was the three tempting Stoli, who moved up between rivals. That's always impressive. For a tight win photo with it's just a matter of time. Third was BV, I am a rock. Challenged at first and faded in the closing yards to it's just a matter of time. A 13.62, a 75 speed index for BV, I'm a rock. Also a 70 speed index for fourth place finisher, Major Laser, a 13.74 time there. Another sub 14 second time with Wow's Dash, who ran a 67 speed index with a 13.81. Very fast schooling race in the 10th. The 11th had a 18 mile an hour tailwind, and it was a tight one, won by Jess Reloaded, a 13.77 with a 69 speed index. He broke well, very well. He definitely outbroke the field. Might have outbroke him a length there at the start. He dueled there at the ending stages and had a three way battle for the win. And I'm very partial to the second place horse in this one. Or I guess it was a dead heat for second in this one. It's mine and my grandpa's horse, Apollo Cartel, is misspelled on the results as Apollo Cartel. That's wrong. It's Apollo Cartel here in this one. He was kind of messing around early, and then there at the end, he got hit with a stick on the right side, and he really bared down to respond with a good effort, and he just missed there on the end. If it was 50 more yards, he might have won it. Very impressed with how that Colt did. Third was I'm a fancy keeper, or I guess did he for second, third, whatever it was. Challenged throughout and a convincing effort with that three-way battle, and I'm telling you, that race was close. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. That one ran a 13.78 as well as a poly cartel with a 69 speed index. Two more to talk about on day two. The 12th had a 19-mile-an-hour tailwind. The winner was waiting on eight, a 13.74 time. With a 70 speed index, broke well, moved throughout the field to take over with a big rally for a neck win. Second was the eight prized runaway doll, finished in 13.80 seconds, a 68 speed index. 
raced on the outside to challenge the winner and was definitely second best. Third was Relentless Speed, a 13.81, a 67 speed index. He broke in a bit at the start, pressed in the front stages with some encouragement at the end and a good effort for Relentless Speed. And the 13th had a 19-mile-an-hour tailwind. It was won by Foos Lodge, a 13.67 time for a 73 speed index. It was a contender from the break, and after the start, he moved clear to a half-length win, did Foos Lodge over the second-place finisher, S.A. Jesse's Chicks. 13.78 the time, a 69 speed index. Challenged on the inside to the winner, and finished under urging to a hold second for the one, S.A. Jesse's Chick. And third was the seven, I'll Be Gone, a sharp break. Broke in a little bit, though, and recovered at the end to move into third for I'll Be Gone. So that wraps up the training race results from this week. Look forward to some of these horses early here in the Oklahoma Futurity and the Oklahoma Paint and Appaloosa Futurity. All right, guys, that's all I got for you on this episode of the podcast. But don't worry, next week we'll be talking about the Mardi Gras Futurity and Derby Trials and also the Oklahoma Derby Futurity and Paint Appaloosa Futurity Trials at Remington Park coming up next week. So stay tuned for that, and I'll talk to you guys later on.